This is Radio Free Acton. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. It's a pleasure to have you along. My name is Mark Vandermoss, as usual, your host here on the Acton Institute podcast. Glad to have you along for Radio Free Acton today. As we go through the month of December here in western Michigan, and uh, it is, uh, as you might imagine, very cold outside. We've uh, got a good foot of snow on the ground. We're expecting more as I record this, uh, probably three to five inches today, another couple of inches over the weekend. So winter is here, even if it is not technically officially winter on the calendar. Uh, The season of winter is, is definitely here. And, uh, of course, that means Christmas is coming up, and uh, Christmas is always a great time to pause and do some reflecting, uh, as, we, as it also means we're, we're nearing the end of another year. And uh, before we get into the meat of our podcast today, I just wanted to take a moment to offer my uh, sincere thanks to everyone who, uh, who listens to Radio Free Acton. Uh, podcasts are a lot of work to do. They can be a lot of fun. Uh, and Radio Free Acton is great because we have uh, such a wide variety of topics that we cover uh, and such a such an interesting array of guests that I get to talk to, and um, and and it's really a privilege to be able to do this, to be able to uh, record uh, these podcasts and send them off into the world and have people listen to them and uh, hopefully benefit from uh, from the uh, uh, from from what we talk about and who we talk to, hopefully spreading some good ideas uh, and some useful knowledge and. Uh, it really wouldn't mean a lot if people didn't listen. I've said that before, but I want to say it and emphasize it here as we near another year end. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Uh, and all of us here at Radio Free Acton, all of us at the Acton Institute, wish you uh, just the warmest of uh, holiday seasons, a very Merry Christmas, and a happy, healthy, prosperous, and uh, we sincerely hope peaceful New Year in 2017, which is, of course, rapidly approaching. With that being said, let's uh, move on to the meat of our podcast for today, and we're going to be talking about a a, a brand new subject area uh, for Radio Free Act, in, at least in one sense. We're going to be talking about the world of high fashion, uh, which is not something that we've addressed here on Radio Free Act and before, as far as I can remember anyways. Uh, but more than that, we're going to be talking about a particular uh, designer in the world of high fashion, a man by the name of Brunello Cuccinelli, uh, who hails from uh, Solomeo in north-central Italy, near Florence. Uh, he is a fashion designer, but uh, and, and I, will, I will say right up front, the, the clothing that he designs uh, is incredibly high-quality, beautiful, probably uh, just a dream to wear. But what is important about Cuccinelli is not so much the clothes that he designs, although he does that very well, and his company produces excellent products. What's really important about Cuccinelli are the ideas that animate his work as a clothing designer, as an entrepreneur, as a citizen, as a family man. Uh, the, an- the ideas that animate his life are fascinating, and they are documented in a brand new documentary by a gentleman named David LaRocca, a philosopher, a philosophy professor in the State University of New York system, author, and uh, as it turns out, a really good documentarian. He has produced a new film. Uh, entitled Brunello Cuccinelli, A New Philosophy of Clothes. And it goes into the ideas that undergird Cuccinelli's work and his life. And uh, I had the privilege of sitting down with David LaRocca. He's here, uh, very graciously came to Grand Rapids to join us for a screening of his film, uh, to engage in some Q&A with our audience. And uh, he agreed to come on Radio Free Acton and speak with me today. Uh, And I'm very grateful for that. So without further ado, let's get to my interview with David LaRocca here on Radio Free Acton. 
Well, uh, we are pleased today at uh, Radio Free Acton, the podcast of the Acton Institute, to welcome to our studios uh, David LaRocca. David is uh, a philosopher, a filmmaker, an author, uh, currently uh, working as a visiting assistant professor of philosophy at State University of New York, uh, Cortland, in uh, New York State, and uh, also the creator of a film that we just had the privilege of showing here at the Acton Institute called Bruno Cuccinelli, A New Philosophy of Clothes. And before we get into that too far, uh, David, I want to give you an opportunity to say hi. Welcome to Acton. Thank you very much. A d- delight to be here. Thank well, that's you. that's great. And I, I have to say, first of all, uh, really a fascinating film that you've put together, a documentary on an, an Italian fashion designer, relatively short, a 40-minute documentary, but jam-packed with a lot of thought-provoking material. And I, I, I want to start off just by noting, uh, as I watched the documentary, I, I started keeping a list of words that I heard that really stuck in my mind that were descriptive terms about Cuccinelli, about his work. And I came up with respect, humility, discretion, virtue, dignity, craftsmanship, uh, creativity. Uh, This is a man who uh, quotes liberally from St. Augustine, uh, St. Benedict, uh, Immanuel Kant. He he quoted saying, two things fill the mind with ever-increasing wonder and awe. The more often and the more intensely the mind of thought is drawn to them, the starry heavens above me and the moral law within me. Uh, that's a quote from Kant that Cuccinelli did, uh, he gave during the film. Talk about this man and, and the philosophy that he has, because it really, it's, it's, the film is not really about fashion so much as it is about the ideas that undergird uh, Brunello Cuccinelli's worldview that, that the, the fashion flows from. That's a lovely um, summary and, and uh, description of so many of the key ideas that animate the film and, and Mr. Cuccinelli. Um, I think what often strikes a person coming to Cuccinelli for the first time is that here we have a marquee uh, luxury brand, Cuccinelli, and then we have in the person, Brunello Cuccinelli, uh, it seems like a student of philosophy and religion, someone who is... Um, engaged with reading, an activity that is not always associated with uh, high-end fashion, and uh, also quoting and reading from texts like you mentioned, uh, not just, uh, let's say, uh, Christian saints, but also philosophers, novelists, and um, and poets. So uh, part of what drew me to this is the incongruity of this high-end luxury fashion brand that seems to be, through its founder and, uh, uh, and corporate head, a, um, uh, inspired by these philosophers. Yes, yes, very yeah, much so. Yeah. Uh, one, one example I might give uh, that sort of illustrates how these things come together, and it has stuck out in my mind, a few years ago, the company went public, and the representatives were in Milan, and uh, as you can imagine, the, the market was saying things like Cuccinelli makes a sparkling mar- market debut, and uh, they were celebrating net sales of 243 million euros. And what would one say to the, the head of the Italian stock market, uh, stock exchange, on this occasion? Well, this is a quotation from Mr. Cuccinelli. This listing shows that romanticism and enlightenment are compatible with a humanistic form of capitalism. 
After he said this, he presented the chief executive of Borsa Italiana, the uh, stock exchange in Italy, with a 16th century edition of Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. <laughs> in, in, in Having just watched the film, it, that that's completely what I would have expected from, from Cuccinelli. It yeah. just, it's exactly what I would have expected. And, and, and the, the thing about Cuccinelli is that a lot of what he talks about seems to uh, resonate very strongly with a lot of the things we talk about here at the Acton Institute, especially in terms of the dignity of work. And this is a very interesting, uh, an interesting point, especially in the world of fashion, and where where there's so much concern about uh, issues like sweatshops and and the way that the the products are made. Um, Cuccinelli comes from this point of view uh, where he says repeatedly, you know, that by working you are giving point to your life. He's really strongly a believer in the idea that work is a vocation and that it contributes towards something greater than yourself. He, he says, your work is contributing toward helping uh, an everlasting world. The work that we're doing is contributing to these bigger foundations. He talks about having a worldview or a life view that goes just beyond your own, not, not just to the end of your life, but a thousand years into the future. He's very, very deeply committed to the dignity uh, of work. Yes, and I think there's an interesting connection there between your picking up on his long view uh, of things. So, for example, he says uh, most companies have a three to five year plan. I like to have a 300 to 500 year plan. Yes. Uh, he, and part of this, I think, is perhaps being from, as we call it, the old world. Um, he is born and raised and has lived in Umbria and is connected with some of the, the founding thinkers. I, I think of them as his local brethren, and th these are people like Francis of Assisi and, and Benedict of Norcia. Um, so the other thing that uh, Umbria is well known for is knitwear. So surprisingly, Cuccinelli brings these two worlds together in the form of uh, religious and philosophical thinking on the one hand, and the long centuries-old tradition of uh, knitwear, and that and that's where we find this this next part, which is the dignity of work and labor. Because as Benedict and Assisi would emphasize, one gives expression to one's one's life through one's conduct, and in this particular case, the conduct is the making of clothes. What I what I call after Thomas Carlyle the philosophy of clothes. I might give an anecdote too that's 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 uh, not incidental and goes to the what I think of as a kind of Ur story of um, Cuccinelli's sense of human agency and self self valuation. He says uh, this is a direct quote. He says, "I was saddened seeing my father in such conditions. These are factory conditions." Uh, and it was probably then that I began to understand the important role work plays in men's lives. Through direct experience, I realized how unjust it is to offend the dignity of a man's labor and not to appreciate its true value. His father would come home and speak and kind of embody a humiliation at work. And Cuccinelli thought, if I ever have an opportunity to, in a way, care for workers, I will not do that. I will respect their, their labor. The other thing that Cuccinelli discovered in, in philosophy in particular is a place where the care of men's souls, the dignity of their spirits, was the primary concern. And over time, he has adapted these ideas, sometimes rarefied, into the very immediate workaday world of labor and commerce. So this is an interesting uh, shift from the, um, the abstract 
and we might even say the spiritual, into the, the living, breathing um, conduct of everyday business. I, I wonder if we can uh, step back again to his father, because that, that's, that's a point that I noticed. There was a point where he quoted his father saying, what, what have I done to offend God that he would humi- allow me to be humiliated so at work? And in, in the, doing a little bit of reading on, on Cuccinelli and his history, uh, he grew up where he works now, essentially in the same area, and grew up really living off the land. His family was um, many people under the same rooftop, uh, and and he seems to have had a very wonderful childhood in that area. And then at some point, the family had to move, and his father had to take a factory job. And I'm curious, this the the childhood that he had, the 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 time that he spent as a young man in the cafes around uh, Solomeo and in in the area of Umbria, what was the what the genesis of this philosophy that he has? I mean, I I think that his father's story really comes into it as well. But what was the atmosphere that he was absorbing in that area that? led him to think this way about clothes, about entrepreneurship. Yes, yeah, so it's an interesting confluence. Um, and the first um, first reflection might be that the, the so-called cafe culture of Umbria 20, 30 years ago, and I think it continues to today, is an intellectual space. It is a, a place where people talk about ideas, they debate, they share. And so this was the place where Cuccinelli found his... Uh, his ideas challenged and invigorated by people he was spending time with. And uh, it was around this time that he began reading philosophers and novelists that uh, were extracurricular, so were not part of his training. He was, I believe, a student of engineering. Uh, so these were this was a different path. And, and that brings the point, he, he doesn't come from a family of designers. No. He, he does not have, his family doesn't have a tradition of, of, of creating clothing. No, it, not at all. Um, and he's also from a, a region that's not known for high fashion, uh, like like Milan or, or Rome. Um, so what happens is he he finds um, there there is a there are some gaps here I'm going to have to skip over but he comes to a position um, partly engaged by uh, his wife to create a line of sweaters, colorful sweaters. And this is roughly in the age of, uh, of Benetton. So we're talking uh, about there, there are cultural trends that he's picking up on. And what he makes are colorful uh, sweaters, uh, very high quality woolen, cashmere, knitwear. And this becomes the uh, incubator for thinking about the different categories you've mentioned. So craftsmanship, labor, attention to detail, dignity of work and it takes off from there so uh, this 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 is the uh, the uh, the seed of this larger corporate uh, enterprise and interesting too that he, he mentions in the film being influenced by the thought of Theodore Levitt um, and, and who who's quoted as saying um, in the everyday life of business the customer should be considered our God which goes to a, another point uh, that we talk about here our, our founder here at the Acton Institute father Robert Sirico, uh, has said innumerable times in the decade that I've uh, been part of this organization that the, the one of the great virtues of entrepreneurship is its other directedness. In an authentic uh, uh, entrepreneurial effort, what one has to do is to go out and to find a need that is that is out there somewhere in the market and then address that need. And of course, the benefits of, of the market would be uh, you know that, that you need to do it in a way that's efficient. And in a, in, a, in a manner that is maintaining high quality, 
because you can't succeed unless you're other directed. And Cuccinelli, it seems to have adopted that philosophy as well, that his products aren't simply uh, throwaway items, but they are, you know, he, he does uh, look to address the whatever niche in the market that he is trying to address with real quality. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. If you again, the, I I checked out his website. It's I'm not going to be shopping at Brunello Cuginelli anytime soon. But he he's he's again embodying that other directedness of the entrepreneur in in, in a very real way. Yes, it's interesting to see how uh, the the themes and the ideas of service to others that we see very much uh, at the heart of say Benedict's dedication um, to the the life of the abbot. So the abbot takes care of his monks. And Cuccinelli, um, unlike some readings, I, I think of them as cynical readings of Cuccinelli, um, they, they describe him as a kind of benevolent feudal lord, uh, a kind <laughs> yeah. of uh, almost a, a chauvinistic prince who rules over other people. I, I find having visited Solomeo, um, and I'm not uh, on retainer, and I don't get free gifts from Cuccinelli for saying such things, but I find that there is a sincerity and a rigor at the heart of this that reflects um, uh, a, a, a meaningful quality to when he says he thinks of himself as an abbot uh, of, of his people. He is, um, you might say, it, like a benevolent father, I think is how he describes himself. Someone who's stern, but also caring and tender when he needs to be. And this is the culture and the climate he's tried to create. So there's that on the one hand, and then there's this rapid shift to modernity and the thought of Harvard business professor Theodore Levitt, whom Cuccinelli met in the mid-70s. And if you, t- if you dip into um, Levitt's work, um, he has a famous uh, essay called Marketing Myopia from 1960, and you can, you can really hear a, a strain of this thought take shape in Cuccinelli's practice. So this is a direct quotation from Theodore Levitt. He says, the chief executive himself has the inescapable responsibility for creating this environment, this viewpoint, this attitude, this aspiration. He himself must set the company's style, its direction, and its goals. This means he has to know precisely where he himself wants to go and to make sure the whole organization is enthusiastically of where it is. This is a first requisite of leadership. And so you can imagine that as a kind of structure that you can plug in things, uh, ideas, uh, specific specific things engaged with, say, the fashion industry. Uh, What are you, how are you guiding your people? How are you treating your workers? You can fill in that content, but it does come back to the leadership role of the chief executive. But importantly, um, in all of these things, Levitt emphasizes a customer-oriented approach. The product is secondary to the experience the customer has, because that is what the customer in effect is buying, is the way that they feel with the company, with the brand, even with the products after the fact. It's the idea of how they were treated. And so you see this um, continuing, kind of radiating throughout Cuccinelli, where last I I heard, the company spends something like a quarter of its uh, profits in the care of its people and its um, its its uh, clothing so people can send back their sweaters and jackets for repair. So there's this cycle of um, renewal 
and re-engagement with the company. It's it's a, a wonderful thing to see. It, it, we live in an age of, of mega corporations that are so impersonal, um, but this is really an example uh, of what a, a what a, what a company can be, what, a, what an entrepreneur can do. And, and this leads me to kind of the second, the major point that I want to make is that, the, the, of course, as a philosopher, you understand the importance of ideas. And these ideas that have undergirded uh, Cuccinelli's worldview, they have a practical outflow uh, in terms of how his work now affects the people who work for him, the community that he is part of, and uh, the larger uh, business world. And I, I was struck by uh, how he, he categorized the way that they use the profits of the company. Um, he said, of course, there's the, a portion of the profits are going to go back to the business um, because you need to do that in order to maintain the business. And you just, you just talked about how they use some of those profits. But there's also a significant portion of the profits that go to take care of the workers um, and, to, and to ennoble their work, to, to give real dignity to their work, because that's a very important part of his philosophy. Uh, there's also that part that... Um, takes care of his personal needs. But then he also talks about, uh, let me see, I wrote it down here. Ah, yes, the, to, to use a portion of the profits of the company to, quote, beautify humanity. And he really has engaged in that process in his in his hometown. And I, I think we've seen in, in Grand Rapids here, um, we have some large corporations, some, some, uh, some folks who've uh, gone off and, and established some very large enterprises and then have taken... Uh, and have made it a point of their life, really, in their in their golden years, as it were, to reinvest and rebuild their community, uh, in, in large part because they want to they want the the community that their their company is located in to be a, a place that's worth living for their workers and a place that's that's full of culture and art and and all these different things. And Cuccinelli has has taken what was essentially a ruin, uh, an abandoned village in Italy. And he is rebuilding it with a with a mind towards a thousand years from now. Uh, talk a, talk a bit about the benefit of of Cuginelli's company to its hometown. Sure. So you pick up on a, a I think a familiar pattern, at least in American culture. <clears throat> um, but I think, and that is to say, philanthropy. But I think you find. Um, the earlier model for this in the benefactor culture of the patrons of, say, Europe or other other cultures. Why is this significant? Because you have capital. And if you have residual capital profits, what do you do with it? Do you hoard it for yourself or do you dis, uh, distribute it somehow? So this question of um, how one becomes a philanthropist and a steward is at the heart of Cuccinelli's concern and reflection. Here is one example. So he, he wrote a book called A Humanistic Enterprise in the World of Industry. And he quotes St. John Chrysostom, who said that riches may belong to the devil, but may also belong to God. And this, as Cuccinelli glosses the sentiment, replies directly to your, your query. He says, on the one hand, the riches of plunder those of the man who steals and hoards, on the other hand, the good riches of the man who transforms and distributes, and by so doing, renews life. This is what Solomeo represents for me. So some examples of this in a kind of concrete way um, are, uh, yes, they're definitely focused on the the day-to-day improvement and embellishing, as he says, of the lives of his workers, but there's also material elements like the restoration of a church, the building of a theater, uh, the construction of a library, the building of a school, 
and um, and in fact, very uh, much at the heart of the culture of of, of Umbria is what we call soccer. football. So he doesn't just say buy jerseys for his players. He pays them a wage. They are paid to be professional, semi-professional, if you will, um, uh, football players, soccer players. He he constructed a stadium for them. And he often plays with them, you know, as he practices with them. That yes. is to say, so one of the perks. Um, but this idea that it's a, a multi-leveled um, approach, it's athletic, it's spiritual, it's business, it's mealtime, it's operating um, uh, on, on many levels. Um, so the other element of this, too, is that it's not just any construction. It's not quick, as you say. It's, it's a long-term visionary construction. And this is because for Cuccinelli, um, like other philosophers that he reads, he finds a connection between ethics and aesthetics. That is to say, beauty is an instructor or a teacher about the good. So it's not just some superficial um, add-on where we would say that is a beautiful building, but we would say we are being taught by the architecture or by the library um, how we go about conducting our lives. And this, <clears throat> this is very much at the heart of the, um, the practice of creating a luxury brand, too. So it's the, the question would be, how would it... Um, you, you mentioned, I think uh, you were implying, that Cuccinelli's clothes are expensive. Yes, they yes. are. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I, I don't think I was implying. I was just, <laughs> let's just put it right out there. Yeah, and um, in, in a couple of essays I've written in uh, the Journal of Religion and Business Ethics, I go into much more detail about what may be, to some uh, listeners, a conflict or a paradox between uh, let's say, admiring Benedict, uh, an ascetic monk, and creating these um, luxury clothes that can cost thousands of dollars per article or something. And uh, this, this is part of where aesthetics and ethics comes back, because the beauty of the clothes, the, um, the way in which, let's say, the materials are sourced. So one example is that Cuccinelli has a personal relationship with Mongolian goat herders, and he's oh. he's he visits them. He's visited them, and uh, he buys his cashmere directly from them. And this relationship is an ethical one. It is you know as uh, say the red campaign or fair trade coffee. This is a kind of direct connection to the suppliers of his source material, and that is supposed to be a lesson for the luxury market. So as um, people like Godfrey Dini have noted, he's a, a an esteemed fashion. Um, critic, that much of the, the, even the luxury market is based on um, on a kind of uh, sweatshop style mass production, machine production model. So Cuccinelli accepts, is an exception to this, where he has these personal relationships, um, a focus on the handmade, even in the context of a, of a large corporation. The, the thing that I take away from this you know obviously when we, we can talk about the expense of Cuccinelli's products and all that but the the real the real heart of the issue for me as I was watching and hearing Cuccinelli describe his philosophy and how he works the the way that he thinks is is something that could be easily applied to any any business enterprise any small businessman or woman in in the United States could listen and 
and could say, well, you know, again, with the, the, the way that I deal with my customers, the way that I conduct my business and my business affairs with honesty and with dignity and with, uh, with respect for all, uh, the way that I treat my employees, um, the, anyone can draw from this model. We don't all have to be uh, high-end Italian clothing manufacturers, of course. We all can't be. Um, and perhaps we all can't do what Cuginelli does to the extent that he does it. But everyone uh, in, in our audience today who runs a business can reflect on how do I run my business? How do I treat my employees? Is there dignity at the center of how I treat them? Or am I driven simply by keeping the doors of the business open? That, that's an important point to make. Um, and, and not everybody has the, the resources or the uh, the the bounty that Cuccinelli has created for himself and for his community, but we all can look at ourselves and draw from his lesson. He he provides a great example. Yeah, and I think this is partly where his focus is. So uh, there was a, a wonderful anecdote last night uh, from one of the um, the visitors to the film screening here at Acton, and he is a proprietor of a local multi-brand store that sells Cuccinelli. And when they began to sell the product, if I hope I'm getting the story correct, um, instead of sending him, let's say, a typical glossy promotional uh, brochure with all the products and so on, or even sending him a, um, a, a examples of the clothes to say, these are the kinds of things we'd like you to sell, he sent this proprietor 10 copies of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. Give these to your employees. Give these copies to your employees. And that is um, indicative, as he, as he gave the Aristotle to the Stock Exchange, um, that if you think, as Marcus Aurelius said, you want to live as if it's your last day on earth, but you want to plan as if you would live forever. So you have this alternation between a real consciousness of your mortality, but also um, a care for what exists after you, what may um, be your legacy, if you will. So when, um, when Cuccinelli talks about profits, and he's, <clears throat> there's a nice pun there, of course, profits and profits, but um, <laughs> when, when, you, um, when he's very focused on profits and, and capitalist uh, development of, of uh, his profits, but what he does with them is, as you're picking up on, part of a decision-making process that many other companies could replicate if they wish to. Um, he, for example, in uh, one of his um, remarks, he says, I see myself as a caretaker rather than an owner, and um, that he devotes a small part of his profits to his family. He says we have um, not any particular needs uh, there is the care of those who help me in my enterprise, that is to say his workers. And then the fourth part he describes as embellishing the world, as you pick up on. Um, and he quotes Dostoevsky, he quotes the Emperor Hadrian on beauty, on this, this sense that he feels, as Hadrian says, I feel responsible for all the beauty in the world. Um, hyperbolic, perhaps, but he's an emperor. And um, but Cuccinelli is tapping into this idea that the that one can have a relationship of responsibility for beautification, for attending to these things, and it is effectively a decision: how will you allocate your your resources? Um, just as one example of that, uh, he gives twenty percent of the company's annual profits profits to, as he says, humanity. So. 
this is roughly, I'd say, t- twice as much as the average tithe, but it is um, oriented to things that can have uh, an impact on the improvement or the, the restoration of the dignity of man. Talking today with uh, David LaRocca, who's the filmmaker behind uh, the new documentary, Brunello Cuccinelli, A New Philosophy of Clothes. Let's get down to nuts and bolts. First of all, where can people find the film if they're interested in seeing it? It's uh, very easy to find. Um, In fact, I can send out a DVD if you contact me for free. Um, My website, if I give that out, is davidlaRocca.com or .org. Both of those work. And my email address is there. Um, It is on YouTube. Uh, but I can also happily send you a hard copy as a DVD. That's wonderful. And uh, do you have any other projects in the works right now? Obviously, the, the film is is great. I'd love to see more work from you. What What's next on your agenda? Well, I am working on a documentary film right now about a New York City photographer. Um, and then in terms of publishing, I have two books coming out in the coming months. One is on documentary film. It's called The Philosophy of Documentary Film with the subtitle um, Image, Sound, Fiction, Truth, elements that are familiar to documentary films. And the other... Hopefully, anyways. Yes. <laughs> Especially the last one. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and then the other book is called The Bloomsbury Anthology of Transcendental Thought. And this is... Um, uh, the, the proofs make it seem like it's about 840 pages. It has 85... Uh, remarkable uh, authors from Plato to the present. And the, the focus of this book is to explore in, in many different valences the meaning of the transcendental. So uh, that's that's coming out in the new year. All the information is available at davidlaracca.org or .com. Right. Both work. L-A-R-O-C-C-A, just to make sure that nobody has an excuse. <laughs> I think people know how to spell David. Yes. Uh, David, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, And uh, again, if you have a a chance to check it out uh, either online or contact David to get your DVD copy, uh, Bruno Cuccinelli, A New Philosophy of Clothes, fantastic film, and uh, we look forward to seeing more from you in the future, David. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. And that is that. Uh, This edition of Radio Free Acton. Rolls to a close. Thanks once again to David LaRocca for spending some time with us here on Radio Free Acting today. Once again, his website, davidlaraca.org. You can also do davidlaraca.com. Uh, both work. And uh, just to make sure you're spelling it right, L-A-R-O-C-C-A, davidlaraca.com. He's a fantastic guy. Thank you, David, for joining us today on Radio Free Acting. Thanks as well uh, to everyone who joined us uh, to listen uh, to our podcast. Once again, we want to wish you the merriest of Christmases, the happiest of holidays, and of course, a happy, healthy, prosperous, and peaceful 2017. Thanks so much for joining us here on Radio Free Act, and we'll see you once again when the next edition arrives. Uh, And of course, in the meantime, be sure to check out the Acton Institute Power Blog, blog blog.acton.org, and uh, tell your friends uh, if you think uh, they would enjoy Radio Free Acton or the Acton Power Blog, where we have news and commentary and information uh, from the Acton Institute, Monday through Friday. Uh, It's all right there, blog.acton.org. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next time on a future edition of Radio Free Acton. Merry Christmas, everyone.